So you said, I know what you meant now. You said every company needs to be focused 100% on driving value to their customer. And you know what the problem is? Most people don't know what the difference between driving value and extracting value. Hello, everyone. This is Ellen, the producer of The Black Line Between Sales and Marketing with Doug Davidoff, CEO of Imagine Business Development and Mike Donnelly, CEO of Seven Cents. Let's get started. All righty. Welcome to the Black Line Podcast. Mike, are you ready for inbound? I wouldn't say I'm ready, but I kind of have to be. I'm excited yeah. for inbound, but still a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, that's right. Everybody that's listening, this podcast is being recorded uh, the Friday before HubSpot's big inbound conference. I, I said to somebody, I said, happy inbound. I said, I figured this is kind of like the marketer's new year. So I felt like I was supposed to say something like that. <laughs> and, and, and so with that as the basis and, and you know, HubSpot's always going to come out, they're going to announce some, some neat stuff, I'm sure. Um, they're going to talk about their growth stack. And when you talk about the growth stack, you can't help but uh, talk about sales and marketing alignment, which is a, uh, a really hot topic these days. I say these days, like, I don't know, Mike, when was it not a hot topic? Yeah. So. I don't know. I guess it, it predates me because it's always been top of mind. So Mike, if you think about your experience, you know, today you're, you're running um, a fast growth. Uh, can we still call you a startup? Do we get to call you still a startup? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm not, they called plenty of people that are billion dollars in revenue still a startup. So, so let me know when we can call you, call you an enterprise company. Um, yeah. And, and you, of course, you've been an enterprise sales guy. Um, and, and, and so yep. it's interesting. I know one of the things we talked about early on was, you know, you came from the sales side and, and you used to be the guy that insulted the marketing side. Um, so when you, when you think about sales and marketing alignment and you think about it from the, the, the perspectives that you've, that, that you've dealt with it, what, what does that, what does that mean to you? What does the whole concept of, of sales and marketing alignment mean? I think, you know, well, I think there's, maybe I'll give a quick backdrop of, of where prior to founding seven cents, kind of where I felt marketing, you know, marketing fell is, as you mentioned, I was the enterprise sales guy. And I always just shook my head every time somebody from marketing would say, Oh, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing this, we're doing that. Because I just never saw the results that they, that they said they were producing. It wasn't, it never felt like it was affecting my territory, you know, my team. I, I just, I always, frankly, I, I would think, what, what are these idiots doing all day? Why are we spending all this money on this kind of, you know, just crap that's not producing anything? Um, and then after founding Seven Cents and working, you know, pretty much solely over the past two and a half, three years with with marketers, I get to, I really get to see the the complexity that goes into their jobs and why they have such a tough time kind of rising above the noise. And I, I think when I, when I look at kind of this sales and marketing challenge that people have and seeing some companies that are doing it really, really well and getting those, their organizations, you know, I'll just use the term aligned. There's probably something better to say, but, um, 
it really comes down just from a culture mentality, the way that the way that leadership thinks the organization should be run. As an enterprise sales guy, what did you think? What was what was the role of marketing from your perspective? Do nothing. <laughs> okay, that's what you thought they did, but but what did you think? Um, what what should drive, 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 drive awareness, drive top of funnel uh, opportunities for my SDR to to call on, create really strong, compelling content. You know, keep our 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 customers informed of new product announcements. And every time I looked back, I was like. None of that's getting done. I guess I, I got to do it all. How would again, you now have I known? Like, now I feel like the complexity of what they were dealing with. Now I actually have sat in their shoes and I understand it. How would you have known or assessed that marketing was doing a good job when you were an enterprise sales guy? Well, perceptions have have again changed, but I would have thought, right. Hey, if my SDR was scheduling lots of, lots of meetings from me that were coming from marketing, I would have been, I would have been happy at that point. So it was, right, again, it was a misperception of what I believe the goal of marketing to be. Sure. Sure. Um, I know you, you market some marketers now, so you, you got to make sure that you're saying good things. I, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let, let, let's throw a curveball. Ellen, the producer, you, you came to imagine as a marketer from a marketing perspective, and you had heard people talk about sales and marketing alignment. What did it mean to you? <laughs> um, sales and marketing alignment, it was just basically um, working the best you could together with the sales team. Me, as being a part of the marketing team, it's kind of what... Um, <coughs> Mike just said like we started off by creating content and <laughs> trying to do our best to deliver a piece that the sales team could use when actually you know since then I've I've learned that it was never really in alignment and it wasn't really focused on um, what problems the sales teams were solving that's you know the joys of coming to imagine and learning how sales development actually works. So you know what's wrong with all the descriptions that everyone's given so far, Mike? <laughs> Do you want to guess? You're going to tell us, so um, go ahead. <laughs> There's not a single measurable, quantifiable, clear description that, that, that we've heard. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree 100%. And, and so – Interestingly, uh, corporate executive board did research because they researched just about everything as far as I can tell. Um, but they, they interviewed the sales side and they interviewed the marketing side and they asked the sales side to describe the marketing side and the marketing side to describe the sales side. And, and apparently like 86% of the words used to describe the other side on both sides were negative. Right. I mean, it, 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 it's funny. And so I'm going to come out with a stance. I think sales and marketing alignment is bullshit. 
I think it's total crap. I think it's, it's a bunch of noise that, that, that executives talk about um, to make themselves feel like they're doing something. How's that? How's that for a take? I would agree that it is bullshit now that I have the perception of both sides of it. Again, to me, it, it, it's somewhat of a, it's a process and cultural issue because I, I have now been exposed to organizations it, that they don't look at sales alignment. They look at customer alignment and they, they, they walk outside the doors and say, okay, from a customer's point of view, how can marketing address a customer? How can sales address a customer all in a cohesive way? Yeah, so let 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 let's pull that so back. You, you 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 could you, you tell me that's bullshit? <laughs> no, no. Okay. Um. But let let let's pull that back and and say that first off, the first problem is, and and I know a couple of people already who, if they hear this, are going to be like, that I'm full of shit. I was but, going to ask how many people you've offended so far. <laughs> Ten minutes in. Um, <laughs> a few. The, I mean, first off, sales and marketing don't align. They just don't. Marketing doesn't look at the issue the way sales does. Sales doesn't look at the issue the way marketing does. They're different disciplines. They're different mindsets. They're different talents. Um, different compensation structures. Yes, though I actually don't think that that that'll be a that'll be a podcast for another day. Yeah. Um, because actually, the thing that scares me is there's there's a movement that are now where they're now saying that marketing should be compensated like sales. Marketing should be put on quotas, and and and, I, and if they did that, that would be a great way to to further flush their business down the toilet. Um, look, as we said from the beginning, I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. You know, if if, if you think about it, if if you think about it, the whole basis of this podcast, the whole basis of the black lines between sales and marketing, is is built on the idea that, that they don't align, that they are different. And, and then, so my favorite thing, and I've been thinking about this in, in preparation for our, our discussion today, my favorite thing is that people say, well, sales and marketing have the same aim. They should be aligned. Well, you know what? Sales and accounting should have the same aim. Sales and operations should have the same aim. Sales and everything should have the same aim. But we don't argue about sales and accounting alignment. Right? I mean, everyone should be aimed towards developing a customer, serving them, to letting them profitably. Right? I mean, that should be the aim of every discipline of the company. Right? Am I, is that a fair statement? Oh, 100%. I mean, as an enterprise salesperson, I, I was at arms with support. I was at arms with accounting. I was at mm -hmm. arms with our legal team because they weren't responsive to, you know, requests in a timely manner. So Legal, the Department uh, I agree. of Sales Every part of Yes, exactly. Um, and, and so when we talk about, and I've seen it more and more, when we talk about sales alignment, we're talking about, it's like talking about the horizon, right? It, it, it's a false picture. It's, it, it, it's a false concept, right? You can't, you know, it, it's something that we keep pursuing, but you can never hit it. Um, and, and actually what's interesting is the more you go to hit it, the more you realize that you can't. Um, and, and so we're, we're pursuing this um, hashtag fake news. We're pursuing this, 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 
you know, this ideal that, that, that doesn't really exist. Um, it's one of the reasons we talk about the third discipline. There's, there's, there's a very, you know, there is a discipline that needs to connect what marketing is doing and translate that, that energy from marketing into sales so that it works. But you actually got to what I think is really the underlying point. And that is the fundamental problem with, with the pursuit of sales and marketing alignment is it, it, it's an internal focus. It, when we talk about sales and marketing alignment, you know who's not involved in sales and marketing alignment in the way that it's talked about? The customer. Yep. Right. Now, I can hear everyone say, no, no, no. We, we, we talk about the customer. No, I get it. I, you, you, you say that, but, but the whole point of sales and marketing alignment is that all happens internally. Right? It, it, and so when you do that, your, your focus is on, on efficiency your focus is on productivity, your focus is on velocity. And I'm not saying that those things don't matter, but you, you operate almost against the customer. The customer becomes a cog in a wheel and, and you know, the fundamental problem, the fundamental complexity with sales and marketing is a business doesn't control the system. We do control our operations. We do control our services. We do control our accounting, but we don't control sales and marketing. The customer gets a vote. Or as the great philosopher Mike Tyson once said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? And so we come in and we have these conversations about sales and marketing alignment and we create these nice pretty things um, and we say marketing, you're, you know, you're in charge of the top of the funnel and, and sales, you're going to manage this. And, and then we get to the real world and the customer punches us in the face and we adjust. And all of a sudden we realize this wonderful, logical, linear thing that we created that said we're in alignment. Uh, now the customer's like, no, I'm not going to behave that way. And then we either try to force them into that, which is what's happening with a lot of sales development today. Or, you know, sales is always going to go opportunistic. They're always going to go one-off. They're always going to, going to go, how can I close this thing as fast as I can? Um, you know, and marketing is always going to go long-term, big picture, et cetera. And, and so I think fundamentally, stop trying to align your sales and marketing and, and realize, accept, embrace that there are different disciplines, different mindsets, different talents, and create customer and that's what you said. And that's why I wasn't going to call what you said bullshit. It's how do we align with the customer? Right? Where, how does the customer think? What do they do? Um, how do they behave? And I'll tell you, and I've talked to a lot of companies. I, I, I think less than, well, for, from my experience of the companies that I've talked to, maybe you'll tell me I'm talking to the wrong companies. Uh, but I've talked to a lot of good ones. Talk to the best. Um, sorry, <laughs> can't, I can't help myself. I got my Tito's vodka. We're ready for inbound. So, um, I um, and I don't even remember what I was going to say. So I thought they don't understand their customer. They don't think enough about their customer. But like, here's a question. I want to know this. Think about your boardroom. Think about your conference room. Think about your sales. I don't care wherever you create your strategy, your vision. I want to know. 
what percentage of the time are you talking about your shit and what percent of the percentage of the time are you talking about your customer's life? No, no, no. I mean, it, 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 me, we talk about it all day, every day, and ways that we can talk about it. Problems. Just so our listeners understand, I, I use Grammarly now. Talk about our, I use Grammarly, <laughs> just so you know. Um, and, and, and so Grammarly wants to tell me an unclear, uh, unclear antecedent. <laughs> so I just wanted to say that unclear antecedent. Right. So we, uh, we talk about customers day in and day out because we truly view now. I agree with you. I mean, we're a small organization. We have to be, you know, I think every organization should be 100% solely focused on how they can deliver value to their customers. But we think about it all the time. But as organizations grow, that viewpoint of the customer goes away more and more and more with most organizations. So I want to challenge you on that. I was afraid we were going to agree on the whole thing. So I would agree that Apple is focused very much on the customer, but in a lot of instances with Apple, they don't, they're trying to create a new market. Everybody thought that, oh, this is dumb. I'll never own an Apple watch. Uh, I, I, I just won't get one. And Apple was creating a new market. So why they, were, why they, they weren't solving for a customer need, or they, they were actually were solving for a customer need versus a customer want. And now look at it, the Apple Watch is the number one selling watch in the world. And now that they just announced cellular connection, I cannot wait to get one. And I was one of the people that said I'd never get one. I, I just got the cellular watch, by the way. I'll, I'll be at inbound without my iPhone. I won't have to have my phone. It'll be awesome. Um, but I don't want to talk, I'm not, I'm not challenging on the Apple side. And I actually think in a lot of ways, Apple is an exception that proves a rule. You said companies should be 100% focused on how to deliver value to their customer, right? Is that what you said? Yes. That's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to challenge you. Cause I think that, I think that's the, well, drive value for their customers and profit. Um, yeah. This is imagine business development.com, not imagine business development.org. Just like, no. Com versus a org. <laughs> you've gotten to know me too well. You're, you're trying to guess where I'm challenging you. I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you in a, and I'm going to challenge it in a different place. And I'm going to use you as an example in just a second, because I think companies do think a lot about how do we add value? How do we, how do we deliver value to the customer? Um, and I think that's, I think that's not what I'm talking about yet. Yeah, you've got to talk about that. And I'm not suggesting that hundred percent of your conversation or hundred percent of your focus should be on, on what I'm about to say. My question is, how much time are you talking about the world that your customers live in? How, how much time do you spend talking about being in your customer's shoes? How many times do you spend, how much time do you spend talking about the world through your customer's eyes? How much do you know the world through your customer's eyes? Right? How, so how much time are you talking about your customer's world and trying to understand their problem more deeply? or their world, their situation, their issues more deeply. Um, and by the way, the company that does that better than Apple is Procter & Gamble. Where Procter & Gamble actually realized that to, to be special there, that they actually hire sociologists, archaeologists who embed themselves. And, and, you know, I guess they specialize in being invisible. And they observe what their customers really 
do when they see, oh, well, people in, in Italy put this on this side of the counter and people in Spain put it on the other side. So the handle for the product we sent in Italy should be one thing and, you know, you know, little things like that. And, and to call it out to be more specific to, to the audience that I think we have, you have, a, you have obsessed about delivering value to your customer base from the day that I met you. Um, yep. And you got caught being internally focused because you kept, you kept thinking about how do we deliver value in, in email marketing and email deliverability. And, and you, you know where I'm going, right? And, and, yep. and you and I talked and I said, well, wait a second, why am I doing this to begin with? And, and you said, well, you need more engagement, right? And I said, oh, okay. And, and you've now changed the question that you ask every day from how do we deliver value for email deliverability to how do we, del- how do we solve this problem that our customers have of getting engagement with their people? And, and so let me just ask you, how much has that changed your thinking and your internal conversations since you made that connection? It's a 180. It's, it's fundamentally changed all of our thinking. Right. And, and, and he's not exaggerating. I mean, it's not and a it little was, bit it was a great, it was a, when you, when you challenged on, challenged me on it before, or just, you didn't challenge me on it. You made the suggestion. It was somewhat of an epiphany moment. Like shit, Doug's absolutely right. We got to, we're talking about this and we're, we're thinking about it the wrong way. And, 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 and so like that, that, that's the point. I'm not trying to say, Hey, well, gee, look what I did for you. The, the the point is we're we're so yeah, yeah you are yes yes you are but that's no I'm really not I'm really not I'm not I'm not I'm not opposed to that I'm not opposed to that but in this case I'm, I'm really not um, it it's about we are so and again we're we're biologically programmed I mean this is how we we're we're set we're so focused on us we're so ego centered which we have to be because that's how we survive. We're so ego-centered that we don't even realize that we're talking about it. We think we're talking about our customer when we're really talking about ourselves. And I can see it. And I, there's a company that everyone on this podcast that's listening, I know knows of, and I will not name their name. But I have seen them change. And I know that the underlying issue that has driven the change has been they lived their customer's life for years. And now they don't. And you can see the way they make decisions, the way they manage things. Um, it, it's messed up. And, you know, you, there's an argument that says when you get to a certain size, um, op, you know, the operational side becomes increasingly important, which is true. Um, you begin to get operators involved. But, but I actually believe that, that the underlying cause of that is um, you get lazy. And so you bring operators in and you, you go from using process to, to guide and process to leverage. And then you, you begin to be process for risk avoidance process as the rationale that allows you to 
maybe hire people that aren't as talented. I think as your business grows, and I see this happening in the tech space and, and the SaaS space specifically at a, at a huge scale. Well, um, I, think you, I think one of the things that you just said, Doug, really hit home with me, which is that really that risk avoidance. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a big, big component of it. You know, SaaS company gets funded, right? They go out and hire people. How old are the people they typically hire? I mean, they try to get them as young as they can. Right. Why do they get them as young as they can? I think it's two reasons. New, they're not, they don't, one, they're, they're probably, they're, you, you don't have to pay them as much, but two, they don't have this preconceived notion of, you know, right. what, what the job should be. Right. So they're, they don't have to be untaught anything, right? They're nice, right. fresh, pliable, which is great. And you don't have to pay them a lot. So it helps you keep your costs low. And so you've got your visionary leaders up here. Um, and, and take a look at most SaaS products. And like you're, great, you're a great example of this. You created your product to solve your problem. Yep. You're, an inter, you're an enterprise sales guy. You had this problem. You said we should be able to solve it. You created the solution to your problem. So it's a real problem. Um, so we hire these young people because they're inexpensive. They're listening. we got visionary leaders. We're all excited. Bam, we hit. We, we begin to fill... Um, we, we still have our visionary leaders. We, we attract some, some really smart, intelligent talent. We've got those things that are there. We begin to in, introduce process, but we keep hiring. And I don't mean to offend really young people because I think young people are, are totally dynamic, but we keep hiring these young people who don't have the experience. Um, our, our, our people who started off and, and were really smart, we begin to mature they get hired up by other people. They hit the ceiling of, of, of their promotional growth. They go somewhere else. We get additional funding. So now we've got this crazy valuation. We go public. There's all these things that come in. Our visionary leaders begin to get distracted by other things. We bring in operators to address because our because now that we have outside investors, we now require this. You know, we need to have that risk avoidance. And we keep doing this thing to build it so that so that the shit doesn't screw up. Um, and, and really the underlying problem was that thing that made us special in the beginning, we, we lost. And, and I'll give you an example of a company that I think as well as anybody avoids this, which is Netflix. You know, Netflix is a chaotic company by design because they realize yeah. that, that if we have great people who obsess about what the customer is, we're, we're going to have a repetitive process because, because we have really great people. Um, but yeah, we're going to have a little bit more chaos and, and, and there's going to be bumps along the way, but we care about it. On, on the longer term. And so we create this whole thing of, of sales and marketing alignment um, as a way to create an atmosphere of compliance. Instead of saying, okay, how do we solve for the customer? Right? It's an interesting thought. And that is, <laughs> that's why I've never been good at working for a large, for a large company. Right. And, Even a, a, and a, a, well, no, no, no. It, it, the, so I personally, in my, in my own professional life, I've been at those companies where they bring in the operators and frankly, nine times out of 10, they just screw things up because they, they, they just, they throw all of these processes in place. And like you said, this, this level of compliance that, Top producers don't want to be in, doesn't give them the flexibility, their creativity, you know, their ability to be creative goes away. 
and then it's like, okay, I'm showing up for a nine to five job. Do this, this is not what I want to do. This is not what I signed up for. An interesting finding that Jim Collins had after everyone pointed out that all the companies that he said were good to great were uh, bankrupting America. Outside of that, but, but an interesting finding that Jim Collins had was that the first, if you take a look at companies that achieved great status, that had great success, the first sign of failure was the success. And, and, and so what happens is you hit the mark, right? You knock it out and everyone's running to you. You are the bomb, right? And then you go, okay. And you begin to bring in all these people who are now looking to exploit and defend rather than innovate and, and, and drive real value. So you said, I know what you meant now. You said every company needs to be focused 100% on driving value to their customer. And you know what the problem is? Most people don't know what the difference between driving value and extracting value is. Most companies spend the vast majority of their time figuring out how to extract value from the customer. Extract value, I, I agree 100%. And, you know, and then, like, that's the thing you got to give I don't think Netflix gets enough credit. And I did not come on this podcast intending to talk about Netflix, but everyone talks about how Blockbuster could have just destroyed Netflix because they could have easily created, replicated the model that Netflix had for less money than Netflix had. They had, you know, they had everything in place and they could have been the mail order DVD. And I think that there are probably a lot of people like producer Allen who probably doesn't even know that um, Netflix used to actually rent DVDs. Because I'm so young. Exactly. Um, <laughs> he loves to offend so the young people. Young. Because he knows he's get, how old he's turning soon. <laughs> get off my lawn. Uh, by the way, guys, guess what? 50th birthday coming up. Going to see Hamilton in New York City. So. Oh, I, oh, I was trying to figure out how to get you something, Hamilton. Yes. Um, I'm so happy. So, so um, you know, so we talk about Blockbuster and 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 whole Blockbuster Netflix thing, and Netflix destroyed their business. Well, we're seeing it all over the place. Look at but, AOL. AOL got arrogant. They were they, no. they were. I'm sorry, was, you missed. They're gone. You 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 missed my point. No, Netflix destroyed Netflix's business. Netflix won. They became the. They put Blockbuster right. they out of business. Right. They, Yep, they, they disrupted their own business. And long before that business, I mean, they could have exploited hundreds of millions of dollars. It would have taken probably four or five years. Because, I mean, the whole reason that all the networks came in was because Netflix started getting all these deals. And they said, well, wait a second. I mean, Netflix ran into a problem at one point because they were getting the digital TV rights from these companies for so little because they got oh, did hundred thousand. You you can run that for a hundred thousand dollars. It was nothing. Um, they were the ones who had the guts to say, you know what, we're going to solve for the customer. And and let's be honest here, customers suck, right? I mean, I know I probably yeah, have some clients listening, but they do. And and no no offense, I love you guys. I'm a customer for people too, and I'm I'm sure they say the same thing about me. Uh, if I can figure out how to how to have the impact and make the money I want to make without. Um, without having to work with it. I would love to like, just work at a think tank. Like just run a think tank and get paid millions of dollars just to think of new shit. That'd be awesome. 
But you're not smart enough, Doug. Sorry. That's that's fair. Fair point. <laughs> um, you have to, you know. So so customers want what they want when they want it. Customers don't think, oh, how can I, um, how can I create my need in such a fashion that it would allow somebody to develop a repeatable, scalable process that would eliminate very, you know, they don't, they don't think that way. They want what they want, and the great companies figure out how to give it to them, and the really great companies figure out how to do it again and again and again. And that's to circle back to what the whole point of this this podcast was. That's what sales and marketing alignment is. And 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 so what I want to challenge people and, and, and get a little bit into conversation here is is stop trying to align sales and marketing. And, and look at your customer and say, what is the real journey they go through? Forget all the you know, awareness, consideration, decision. I mean, yeah, that's nice, but it doesn't mean anything. What really happens there? What are they thinking? What are they doing? How are they acting? We, we do something with clients called mapping the alpha journey, which is we try to go from like, what is the first stimulus, the seed the egg, if you will, of, of the origination of what leads somebody to over a period of time go, I need to give somebody money for, for this, right? Or at least talk, or at least talk to them. Find, no, no, we go, we go all the way. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Right. Then we go, okay, so what leads them to say, I want to talk to you. And then what leads them to, you know, and all those different things. Right. And, and then we say, all right, well, what do we need to do is stimulate people to think this thought that is the origination of the idea and, and, and who has what role to it. And the, and the truth of the matter is marketing has a very heavy role to that. I was talking with a client um, the other day and he's got what, what should be, you know, if they could get this, this company that it would, they would be their second largest customer. They would probably produce, this is a, today they're a $30 million company. They would probably, they probably be worth about four to $5 million. Okay. So like major impact. And, and he was on a list, this company was on, on, on a list of, of not qualified. And I said, why are they not qualified? And he said, well, they're not interested in what we do. They don't, they don't even think what we do matters. They think, you know, what, you know, on and on. If I were to go any further, I'd, I'd give too much away about, about who it is. Um, and I said, oh, okay. So they're not interested, but they're qualified. Right? And I'm like, well, he's like, well, yeah, but I don't know what, like, I'm not going to spend any time with them. I'm like, no, absolutely not. It's a marketing product. We've got a marketing issue. We've got to teach them. We've got to educate them. Now, he still has a role because he goes to trade shows and he goes to industry conferences and industry events and he sees people from there. And so we need to, you know, marketing needs to deliver that, that message and figure out how to deliver it to them and, and, and get them there. But then he also has that role of, of coming in um, where he's still really early in the journey and not thinking about, you know, not thinking about selling product or, or service. Um, but it's like, okay, our first job is to get them to think about what is the problem that they have. Like, hey, do you have chaos? Right. Then as you begin to map that all out, you don't need to think about sales and marketing alignment if you have customer alignment. Because correct me if I'm wrong. If if my messages, my actions, my content, my metrics were in alignment with how customers behave, engage, learn, think, shop, buy. If I'm in, if I'm in alignment with them, won't, won't I naturally have sales and marketing alignment? 100%. Like my internal functions will be aligned. 
Now, the problem is I could have my internal functions you, aligned and be out of alignment with my customer. 100%. And you, but you, you still have to figure out that, that, that cultural alignment internally. What do you mean by cultural for, alignment? Right. All right, so we've, we've talked about them a bunch. Our biggest customer will do $4 billion in sales this year. They, they are just an absolute sales and marketing machine. I talked to their CEO nonstop about you know, growth of his business. In 10 years, he grew up from nothing to $4 billion they'll do this year. One of so the you're fastest saying he's growing an average, companies of all time. You're saying he's an average yeah, yeah. Yeah, average leader. Yeah, right. Um, but we we have talked about like, hey, what are you doing differently on the sales and marketing side? And and one of the things that if you walk into almost any company, what you'll see is on one side of the building is marketing. On the other side of the building is sales. So one of the first things that he did was the sales team sits with the marketing team. So that one another can actually have discussions of, hey, I, I heard you on the phone with the customer. What questions were they asking you? Or the sales rep can go to the marketing person and say, hey, well, you know, it would be really great if I could have this piece of content so that, the, so that they're just naturally collaborating with one another. The second component of that is people from their marketing team are consistently on phone calls with the customers or with prospects to hear what the prospects and customers are actually saying so that they can deliver. If, if they're on an initial call and the customer is saying, these are my challenges, this is what I'm looking to solve. From time to time, a light bulb goes off and goes, wow, we should actually write a piece of content about that. Or we should write an ebook about that. Or maybe we should create a white paper or a case study or something so that we have that, those content pieces to help the sales team be more in alignment with the customer. So there's a couple things that you point out there, some very positive that I want to, that I want to circle back to, but I want to, I want to speak up for the marketers of the world because I feel like I need to do that. Um, it, it, I say, I say this too. Marketers need to ghost sales calls. They need to be there. They need to hear it. They need to feel it. You know what we never say? You know, marketers need to shadow sales. I said ghost, I meant shadow. Um, you know what we never say? Sales needs to shadow marketing. Yeah, and they do, don't they? You know why every salesperson needs to write a blog post at least once a quarter, if not once a month? You want to know why? So they can understand the complexity of, of amplifying that voice of, you know, either the company or the customer of how damn hard it is to actually write a blog post yep. and get it published. And again, that is the perspective that I was talking about that I used to have this right. misconceived notion that what the heck is marketing doing? And now I, I understand the challenges that they go through on a day-to-day -day basis. And I would add, and they need to realize that this idea that they think is absolutely shit hot, this is what you need to be doing. And you put it out there and it gets three clicks and it doesn't get a single download and no one cares. Because sales needs to understand that when they're up here, they don't care that your specification, you, you're, you're one and a half times the speed of your closest competitor because they're not even thinking about that. 
right? And, and so, you know, to understand what does it mean to get somebody's attention and drive that all through. But here's what I like about what you said, because I think people get screwed up when they talk about cultural alignment there. And that is they try to get, they try to get their, their groups to be the same. Yep. Um, and, th- and what that means is they try to get their marketers to think like salespeople, which A, mm-hmm. ain't ever going to happen. You want to embrace that difference. You want to embrace that diversity. You want to embrace that marketers are more rules-based, long-term, repeatable. You want to embrace that salespeople are more short-term, break the rule, et cetera, and, and, and bring that together. Stop trying to make them the same, but get them to understand it. And above all else, get them to understand what is the customer thinking about? What is the world that the customer is thinking about? Um, how do we get people to understand that? And I think this is going to bring me to my, to, to my next topic and we'll begin to, to, to move to a wrap-up very soon. And I shouldn't say this because we are, after all, the um, very first, the first in history winner of the Impact Award for Sales Enablement. And, and I think, and I'm not going to change anything because I got a lot more search juice when I talk about sales enablement than what I'm about to talk about. I, I think sales enablement is the wrong word. I think it's. Pro- I think. I think the term sales enablement is is the manifestation of the fundamental problem with how businesses go to market, and and that is sales enablement is internal. It's it's a company centered approach. We need to stop enabling salespeople. Let's enable buyers. It should be customer enabled. It should be prospect enabled. It should be buyer enabled. What's your take on that? Other than to say, <laughs> I agree. I agree. I mean, again, it's it's all about driving that 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 value for the customer. So let me ask you this, because I'm going to say something, and at first I was going to say this is what they need to answer. Um, stop focusing on what it is that I'm selling. Stop saying how can I sell more. Stop saying how can I sell it faster. And what the answer, what the question really needs to be is, how can I get, how, how can we make it easier for the buyer to buy? How can we make it easier for the buyer to move faster? How can we make that easier? Um, and then as I was about to say that, I realized, you know, a lot of people say they're going to say that, but they give lip service to it. I mean, they answer that question, but it's really more, how do we sell more? How do you, how can you tell whether you're giving lip service to the concept versus answering it for real with? What's your perspective? Well, lip service, you're, you're just going to continue to get what you get, meaning how, how are you going to accelerate growth if you're just giving lip service and you're not, you're not making those changes for, for, for the actual buyer? Like you, you, most recently, we started thinking about our pricing. And, and again, this is a, an internal thing. We, we started rethinking our pricing and working with agencies. And we heard from a few agencies that, hey, this is this would make you easier to buy from. And so now we're fundamentally, we're pivoting. We're, we listen to them. We should have heard the messaging. Like that, that's what's frustrating sometimes about building a, you know, building a company, building a product is customers will tell you things and they'll tell you in like certain nuances. And if you're not paying super close attention to what they're saying to you, it takes you much longer to actually hear what they said to you. And then you have those epiphany moments that, gosh, I remember six months ago, somebody said this to me, I should have made the change then. 
So let me let me. But you ask actually you, didn't. You, but you but you did but you didn't actually hear it. I may have used the wrong term. Um, because was that too service, confusing or, or? No, 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 it wasn't. But I want I want to answer the question for the person for the one person other than my mom and your mom that's listening to this podcast. <laughs> I want to I want that person who's sitting there going. I think I'm answering that question and they're, they're, the intent is there, but, but they're not really answering that question. And so I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to say, you thought you were asking yourself the right questions. You were customer centered. You did care. You were doing those things. And, and then you realized, Oh shit. I'm, I'm, I'm not I was thinking about, I was thinking about ourselves. I, I, I was, that but you was didn't know most. that. But you didn't well, know. I, you're absolutely right. I, you're, you're absolutely right. I did not know that. So how does the person who's listening to this podcast and has not had the tremendous benefit of, of being able to have this conversation with me or you um, yet, uh, or producer Adam, how, how do they look at what they're doing and going, am I, am I seeing this the right way? How, how do they know, am I inadvertently paying lip service to it versus really asking it? Or, or, or answering the question for real. How did you realize that you weren't thinking about it the right way? More recently, it started coming up, and in in a, in a conversation with you, actually, that's where the point just—it was the light bulb went off. The light bulb literally went off in a conversation with you. And I, I, immediate, I remember immediately calling Eric and, and, and we've had these moments before where I said, Eric, I don't know how I missed this. And the way that the, the reason why I missed it was because you're right. I thought I was solving, I was, I was giving that lip service and thought I was solving for, for the problem, but I was actually thinking about myself versus how the customer, but it, it, it also had to evolve because we needed to evolve the business in order to get that level of feedback from the customer or from a prospective customer. So I'm going to summarize what you said and I want you to add to it because I, I want to make sure that what we leave people with is something actionable, actionable to be able to do. So whatever your role is, um, look at the this is what I'm look at the track that you're on and, and be honest. And this is probably the first toughest thing for people is be brutally honest with yourself. Um, I have a philosophy that says all progress begins with honesty. Um, and the good news is I love, by the way, as a side note, I'm sorry, I love it when someone tells me that I'm totally doing something wrong. There's nothing that excites me more than that because I go, cool, I'm getting this result. Like I'm still in business and I'm totally screwing that up. That is awesome because it would really suck if they told me I was doing that exactly right and I wasn't getting the result that I want so so be brutally honest um, you don't have to tell your customers this be brutally honest whatever your role is be brutally honest look at your track say is my track gonna get us to the destination and 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 realize like if you say yes then really challenge yourself and by the way surround yourself with people who challenge you um, I, I agree with that point 100% surround yourself with people that will truly challenge you. Not, not now, yes, men or women. Now, if you're, 
if you're truly getting the results that you need, um, predictably, and that's the key word, because I think sometimes people are getting the result, but it's not predictably. If you're not getting it predictably, then realize there is something structurally wrong. And so you want to challenge it and, and, and say, okay, well, what's going on here? Look really clear um, at, at who your customer is. We'll put in the show notes a, a video that you can watch on, um, on buyer personas if you want. And, and, and ask, you know, if you can't answer the questions that we share in this video at a very deep level, then realize I don't know my customer enough and, and, and challenge yourself there. And look and say, or look and ask, what is it that my customer is looking for? What is it that my customer wants? Because I found that customers give us so many cues of, I like your idea, but if you, if, if you were a little bit this way or a little bit that way, I'd be really into it. But where you are right now, it's, it's not quite making it. And, and we keep saying, well, the customer doesn't get it. And, and realize if the customer doesn't get it, then you don't get it. Right? If the customer doesn't get it, then that's the sales and marketing alignment that, that, you, need to, that you need to deal with. Um, and, and, and ask yourself and, and say, and, and map out, what is the process that someone goes through? It should be at least seven steps, as many as 15. Come up with your seven to 15 steps of how do they get from the first idea to the last idea. Put it on a yellow pad if you want. And then, and then watch your next set of interactions and say, how do they map? How, how does this map out? Let, let me make changes. And then look at your, your sales and marketing steps and processes and say, how does that align? And, and, and if you do that, then you can stop talking about sales and marketing alignment. And you can just say, okay, here's what, here's what we need to be doing at these various, and hell, I mean, it might be accounting to do something, I don't know. But, but I think that from an actionable standpoint, if sales and marketing alignment is what you want, and I agree the companies that have it are A, aligned to their customer, and B, see extraordinarily better results. Um, that's the step to sales and marketing alignment. I guess I'm going to sum it up this way. And then, and then Mike, please comment on it. Um, if your goal is sales and marketing alignment, I don't think you'll get it. If your goal is, is customer alignment and, and customer enablement, you can get it and you'll look up and then realize that the byproduct of that, of that enablement is that you have sales and marketing alignment. Sales and marketing alignment is not an objective. It's the byproduct of achieving an objective. Agreed. I'm trying to think of anything else that I want to add there other than, you know, again, to me, it's, it's somewhat of that partially cultural alignment, but stop, Stop segregating your marketing and sales teams in different portions of the building. Start having your marketing team go on sales calls. Start having your sales reps write blog posts once a quarter, once a month, whatever it might be, so that everybody can so that everybody can work towards that goal of, of true customer alignment. So I agree with those tactics, I, and I don't mean to be nitpicking here. But I can yeah. hear some people go, I can hear some people go, yeah, but I don't, I don't have control over that. I can't change where, where I sit or things like that. And, and I think that if, if, like every time you're tempted to talk about sales and marketing alignment, if instead of talking about sales and marketing alignment, you say, you know what, we're going to take this time instead of talking about that, 
we're going to talk about what's really happening in the customer's world. What, what, what's it feel like to be with a customer? What's it, what, what's that mean? What, what would we be doing? Like if you were just stop talking about sales and marketing alignment, talk about what, you know, being able to see the world from your customer's eyes. Then if, if you did that, then you would not be able, you, you'd have to have sales and marketing alignment because you couldn't keep asking those questions and not aligning to your customer you know, and that'll lead to bringing them together. That'll lead to, to all those things that we talked about. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying to, to, a certain, to a certain degree. But I think if you ask nine out of 10 marketers or nine out of 10 salespeople, they're going to say, of course I know what my customer needs. If you think you, you know what your cut, You notice you just changed the question. Expand. You said, I think I know what my customer needs. I didn't ask what my customer needs. I asked, what's it like to be in my customer's shoes? What's the issues that they're dealing with? What's the problems that they're dealing with? Again, think about this. Your customer needs email deliverability. That's what you were talking about. And you're right. They need email deliverability. But their problem is engagement is getting engagement. And when you realize, when you move from what is it that my customer needs to really what's it like to be in my customer's shoes, what's the problem that they're having? And you realize this because you have the same problem, right? Yep. Then you're like, oh, now all of a sudden you went from focusing on what it is that you sell to focusing on what is it that your customer buys. You, you talked about, you talked about your, you changed the pricing and the approach for agencies, for your agency program. But, but the step that you didn't share with the listeners is you also realized that the problem that you were solving for the agency was also different. And in solving for the agency problem, you also solved for your problem with how you're harder to sell. Right. And so you didn't focus on what is it that you, you thought you knew and you did know what is the customer need, but you changed the question to what is the world what what's the world through the eyes what of my their, customer? What, what do they right? What do they live in day in and day out? Right. And and what was amazing about that is think about it. Before you made those decisions, you've been thinking about this for for at least a year, if not longer. Four years, but <laughs> okay, that's that falls into the longer category. Right. <laughs> and 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 think about how fast your changes have been because you changed the question that you were asking. True. Right. And, and, and you were, you thought you were focused on your customer, but you were still asking a customer centric question. I'm sorry. You were, you were asking a company centric question when you truly ask the, the customer centric question. And here's the fascinating thing. Actually, it's challenging some of my thinking and some of what's happening at Imagine. When you truly answer a customer centric question and you make a change as a result of that customer centric provocation, the results come really quickly. Worth it, it, it's crazy. It, it's crazy the difference in conversation that you can have with someone, with someone when you really do change to that, to that customer centric, customer centric view. And, and 
you know, the, the change might not be, might, might not be revenue because that depends on a whole lot of things, but. No, 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 no right. I, I totally agree. It, it, it's, it's interest. It's, you know, it, it's kind of everything that you would want to see from a customer. Because we just changed a key part of our process on the sales side. And we think about this stuff obsessively. Um, and, and, and you remember, I, I would tell you that the, the time to result to see that that had impact was as near as instantaneous as it could be. And, yep. and how many times do we say, well, I don't know if this is working yet because we haven't, you know, we haven't given it time to get through. Um, and, and I'm not saying that question never happened to certain aspects, but, but when you move to a customer centric question and you answer it and you answer it correctly, you get, you get really quick. You see, you see quick feedback on it. And so anytime you implement a change and you don't see quick impact, and I don't mean we're doing SEO on our traffic. So yeah, that takes time. But I mean, in terms of, 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 of where that, that piece is and, and when they have it, um, like your traffic might not grow, but you should see an impact on conversion pretty quickly, right? Oh, well, you know, this CTA, this conversation, this, this aspect. Um, and, 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 and it's a, it's an aspect of you always have to be challenging yourself and thinking, am I seeing this through the, through my customer's eyes? And I would challenge everybody out there. If you think you've got this figured out, then you're wrong. Anybody who thinks they know what their customer wants or needs or yeah, I got it. We understand our customer checkbox it's like a it's like baseball and a hitter who says i got my swing figured out right you know you know daniel murphy nats by the way everybody nats clinch playoffs yay go nats natitude have you ever heard have you ever heard um anyone interview daniel murphy when they talk about you know how does he hit so well so consistently ever heard him answer the question no i haven't he won't answer the question he says you know get in the batter's box um, I, and what I do is I try to put myself in a position to get my A swing. But what, how do you, yep, after, yeah, you know what, I, I was just looking to get my A swing on the ball. He will not talk about it. And this is why baseball players and top salespeople are so damn superstitious. We won't talk about it because we know the moment we talk about it and we act like we got it figured out, the golfing gods, the baseball gods, the sales gods, they will curse us. Right? <laughs> right? But we go, no, I know what my customer wants. No, because your customer doesn't know what they want. And what your customer wants is always changing. And so if you're not always challenging yourself there, sales and marketing alignment is all about, are you constantly and obsessively asking the question, what's, what's my customer, what's going on in my customer's world? And that'll be the last word. You, yeah, you, you left me speechless. There we go. Really? There we go. All right. Well, Mike, here's to, um, here's to inbound. Cheers.